I'm Pat McKay, and this is Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. That is our focus. That will always be our focus until we see fit to change our focus, which, of course, will never, ever happen. We have two guests with us today, Aaron Martin from Providence Ventures and Leah Sparks from Wildflower Health. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Leah, um, Leah, you started out studying journalism in undergrad, then went to graduate school for business at the University of Virginia, uh, which is in Charlottesville. Uh, and that's a, uh, that's a really nice town, by the way, <laughs> especially in the fall. I lived in Richmond for a while, and I definitely had Charlottesville envy. That's a nice spot. Um, from graduate school, you entered straight into healthcare on the business side. And just kind of really went gangbusters from there. Um, Role after role within companies like McKesson, DNA Direct, and Medco, which is now known as Express Scripts. Each position, it seems more challenging than the last. Directing strategy, product development, business development, working with venture partners, overseeing acquisitions, increasing scale and profitability. It feels to me like you were training to run your own company. Um, Is that a fair assessment? I think I was training, even though I didn't always know it the whole time through. But yes, that's fair. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. It has a, definitely, it, it's a career track that has that kind of a vibe. Um, in 2012, you said you were pregnant with your first child. And despite having all this experience on the business side of healthcare, you were uncertain about dealing with your own health benefits and with hospital services and even with, you know, appointment schedules. Your frustration led to a revelation, then an app, and eventually a company to run yourself uh, called Wildflower Health. Tell us about getting it off the ground. Absolutely. Um, I started Wildflower when I was about six months into my pregnancy. And frankly, at the time, I was just really fed up with how painful it was to deal with healthcare, especially in contrast with the experience I was having with slick consumer mobile apps like Baby Center and What to Expect. However, I did not want to fall into the trap of starting a company that was born out of my personal frustrations, but had no business model. So I put my healthcare business hat on and really took a look at maternal and child health. And I learned about the huge cost burden of high-risk pregnancy in the United States, about our lagging quality measures compared to peer countries. And we developed a thesis that if we could build a consumer-focused digital tool that engages pregnant women at the right time, early in the pregnancy and often, uh, we could use that technology to detect pregnancy risk and connect women real time to healthcare resources. And if we did that, we thought we would not only dramatically improve the experience of families navigating healthcare during pregnancy, but we could also make a dent in the $100 billion of maternity costs in this country. So with that in mind, our original business model started with a focus on health plans, both Medicaid and commercial health plans, because at the time, five years ago, they were the most likely customer because they were bearing the cost of high-risk pregnancy. So about six months into developing this idea and incorporating the company, we built a first version of a pregnancy application that was populated with information that we pulled in off of the web for the top 25 health plans. Though none of them were a client, we were able to get their information. And we put that app in the app stores. And within a 
few months, we had over 50,000 pregnant women using the application. And more importantly, we found that they were using the app to connect to their resources, to their health plan, even though none of those plans were our clients at the time. And that's really how we got started. And from there, we were able to tell a really compelling story to target clients and start selling the application to health plans. So some impressive numbers right out of the gate for you there, which I'm sure was very encouraging. So that was the beginning. That's kind of how you got going. So now just sort of maybe talk quickly about how it has evolved and what do they focus on today? Yeah, over the past six years, we've obviously grown across several dimensions. On the client side, we now have health plan contracts that cover almost 50 million covered lives. And of course, we are now in the provider space as well, working with um, almost 100 hospitals under contract. And from a product perspective, we realized as we got into pregnancy that the majority of our users were still using our application after they had the baby. And we also realized a couple of years ago that there was a much bigger opportunity beyond pregnancy to follow a family and to really engage women as this chief health officer of the home who make the majority of healthcare decisions for the family and thus influence literally trillions of healthcare dollars. And so to help serve that target consumer, we now have a product where she can not only be pregnant and managing her pregnancy and connecting to healthcare, but she can also have her children, herself, her spouse, even her aging parents, all in one application and connecting her from one application to our provider clients, our health plan clients, our employers, so that she truly has personalized navigation for all the things she needs to do as that chief health officer of the home. That's great. That's uh that's fantastic and incredibly helpful <laughs> tool, really, for that role, for that for the role of the chief health officer. I love that name, by the way, Aaron. I do want to get to you, but uh, uh, Leah, first, I just one more thing I want to cover uh, that's important. This year, Wildflower Health went on to acquire Circle Women's Health Platform, um, uh, also known as Circle, which is a mobile health technology that was incubated by Providence St. Joseph Health. Um, which is where you got involved with Providence Ventures and, and they with you. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? Absolutely. As I mentioned a couple of years ago, we began to see the opportunity in the provider market as providers are increasingly feeling the need to better serve the needs of consumers and, inv- and invest in digital to really transform the clinical experience. And certainly uh, Providence St. Joseph Health as a system is, is really um, a leading example of that in the industry. So when we met and and started talking with Aaron earlier this year, at the time, we had one large health system client and we're candidly still fairly immature in our capabilities for the provider market versus our very deep expertise on the health plan market. And as we learn more about how Aaron and his team at Incubated Circle, literally growing the product out of direct feedback from clinicians and patients we realized that they not only really understood health systems, but had really been able to build a special product by being able to rely on this direct feedback and under deep understanding of health system and provider workflow. And then when we looked at that opportunity against the capabilities we've built over the years at Wildflower to serve health plans, we realized that coming together could offer something truly novel in the market and which we believe will be more and more relevant as payers and providers are increasingly looking for ways to align themselves and to cooperate on consumer engagement. And so these were some of the dynamics that really made it a no-brainer for, I think, both parties to pursue this transaction. 
Thank you, Leah. I definitely want to get into some more of that here in a little bit, but that is a fantastic segue into talking with Aaron Martin himself, um, who's with us. Aaron, you've been on the podcast a few times. You're the Executive Vice President and Chief Digital and Innovation Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health, the third largest not-for-profit healthcare provider in the U.S., and you're also the Managing General Partner of Providence Ventures, a $150 million venture capital fund created on behalf of Providence St. Joseph to improve health outcomes for people. Thanks again for being here. Uh, first off, I'd love to hear from you about Circle. Uh, this is actually the second incubated solution created by the Digital Innovation Group to be spun out of Providence St. Joseph Health, uh, the first being Zelf, which was the subject of our last podcast. So tell us a little bit about Circle. How did you go about creating it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the main, as, as Leah kind of mentioned, it was really kind of invented, if you will, out of our women's health team. And the, the problem that they were trying to solve is that patients would come in and ask one very basic question, which is, is this normal, right? And especially first-time moms. And so they would get some sort of symptom. They would go, you know, onto Google, look it up, and then just be frightened out of their minds because usually the information that they were seeing online was incredibly unreliable and unfiltered. And I, I try and stay away from Dr. Google. It's, it's, it's such a dangerous behavior. Yeah, yeah. And it would convince them that there's just, just something horrible happening with their pregnancy. And they would, you know, reach out to their OB and their OB would spend, you know, a lot of the time, you know, kind of, you know, kind of talking them down from what they'd seen online. And so it wasn't a good situation for, you know, the patient. And it also wasn't a good situation for the clinician. And then the second, you know, problem that we tried to solve with Circle is beyond kind of the, is this normal, is, is kind of here are the basic things that you need to know for this stage of your pregnancy before you kind of go into the OB so that the conversation could be a lot more efficient for both the clinician and, and the patient. And so that was kind of the kernel that they were trying to kind of solve for and, and really just didn't kind of have a, have a business model in mind per se, just more trying to solve a, a you know, clinical and a patient experience problem. What happened is, is that, you know, our product team, which a lot of these folks kind of come from kind of backgrounds like Amazon and Microsoft, came in and really kind of worked, you know, uh, hand in hand with our clinicians and our clinical institute, led by Amy Compton Phillips, who's our, our chief clinical officer here at, at Providence St. Joe's, and worked with folks like Trina Jellison and um, whole group from our, our Women's Health Clinical Institute, and just did an amazing job of building a product that curates content, uh, products, and services staged by where mom is in her pregnancy, and then also you know, kind of postpartum when she is now uh, dealing with a newborn and then all the way into pediatrics. And so that's the, that's the product as a, as, as a whole. So after Circle was was up and, and running, um, doing these things that, 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 that you're, you're describing, were you then actively looking to scale um, beyond sort of that ecosystem, that first sort of ecosystem, maybe even beyond Providence St. Joseph's? health system, or did Wildflower just kind of stumble upon you guys? How, how'd that happen? No, so our, our, our model is we, we, we typically, whenever we're going to build a new product internally and incubate a new product internally, 
we look to scale it first internally to see, you know, how many users is actually solving the problem that we set out to solve. And so it, you know, the Circle product did, did that in spades. And then the second step in the process is we um, look to license the technology to other health systems to validate, to revalidate the market opportunities. And in our case, it was sold to uh, Sutter, which is another big health system on the West Coast, and OSF, which is a health system in, uh, in the Midwest. And then what we do is we look to, you know, spin out a company as we did with Zelle. And in this case, you know, I think it was... Uh, Goodness, it was it was January of this year. It seems like five years ago. We were starting to kind of take a look at um, you know hiring a senior management team, hiring a CEO, and looking for funding for this new company. And Leah and I had known each other from way back, and I know that she had been doing kind of something similar on the plan and employer side, and had gotten great success there. And so we just met up at uh, J.P. Morgan and talked about what the possibilities are. And it was just one of those, you know, kind of click conversations, at least from my end, which was, you know, we, it was just really exciting about the things that you could do if you kind of take, you know, mom and kind of surround her with support, not only from the health system, which we had done, but also from, you know, the insurance company, as well as her employer, and just really kind of, you know, build this kind of wraparound uh, solution to completely take care of her uh, during her pregnancy. And then also, well beyond, you know, for her entire family. And so we had this kind of, you know, kind of geek out discussion at JP Morgan. And then, you know, we, we kept on kind of looking for um, uh, a CEO. And what I kept kind of coming back to was, is like, well, that person isn't as good as Leah would be in this role. And so it was one of those things where uh, Leah is um, such an exceptional CEO that we kept Coming back to, we need to figure out a way of uh, of kind of uh, working with her on this this problem. Right. So, so then Leah, you know, I'd I'd love to hear it kind of from your side. You, know, I'd love to hear more about how you you specifically started to work with uh, uh, the team at Providence. Uh, you know, as 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 now, you know, a, a CEO uh, having matriculated a new platform, you know, with with Circle into the wildflower ecosystem. You know, so so what kind of changes is at that point or, or what evolves? And then, um, and, you know, now that you've got Aaron on your board and you've got, you know, Circle's in, in involvement with uh, with with your day to day. How does that work? How does how does that all kind of proceed now? Yeah. So first of all, Aaron, thank you for, for, for your, your credit to me as a, as a CEO, I will tell you integrating two companies definitely tests one's leadership capabilities, but it's been absolutely, absolutely delightful. And I, I think there's been a couple of things that have, have changed and have been really good since the transaction. Um, one is just the response we've gotten in the market. This has really accelerated the commercial opportunity. I think for either company on its own by putting together our announcements, our teams, our sales pipelines, the incredible business development efforts that Providence Ventures does for their portfolio companies. I've, my sales team has never been busier. And, um, and the market really loves the story of how we're putting these companies together, again, to create some really unique solutions that, that certainly meet the needs of health system with personalized engagement for families, but can also bring to bear some other assets that we had at Wildflower, like the ability to expose relevant health benefits to patients within a health system within one technology. So the market response and momentum 
has probably been the biggest sea change um, that I think both teams are really feeling. The other thing that has been really meaningful is um, the the thinking and the strategy that now that the new circle team members, as well as certainly Aaron as our board member, have really infused into Wildflower. One of the first things we did, I think literally two days after the, the tr- circle transaction closed, we had an all hands meeting with the new circle team members, the Wildflower team members, and we came together certainly to help the team start to connect, but also to do um, a major refresh of our long-term strategy through 2021. And this was a really purposeful decision for a couple of reasons. One, we knew we needed to recast our long-term thinking based on this incredible expanded opportunity that we have by bringing these companies together um, and integrating new capabilities like EMR integration that came with Circle. But I think as importantly, we knew that there was a lot of talent in the Circle team. Even though it was only seven people moving over, these are really talented people. And we wanted to harness their unique perspectives and really bright minds to help inform the strategy of the company going forward. And so we started that last summer and it's continued ever since. And it certainly extends into the boardroom. We're really lucky. All of our investors come from healthcare. But Aaron, as you can imagine, plays a really unique role in the boardroom. Aaron has this really unique combination of having incredible credibility as someone who can understand the constraints of the health system, but also totally sees the future of how we need to digitally transform this industry. And you rarely find those things in one person. So it's just been a delight to have Aaron in the board. And I think the company's strategic thinking is accelerating just as much as anything else as part of this transaction, which is great. I mean, I have to tell you, it, it, it was amazing how quickly the transaction came together given how the complexity of it, I think from a standing start, you know, I want to say it was like eight weeks, you know, from the time that we both decided this made sense to getting it all done. And that was a investment and a large commercial transaction. You know, health systems are not known for their agility, but there was so much enthusiasm kind of working with uh, Leah and her team uh, that we were able to kind of surmount a bunch of obstacles that you typically see within a $24 billion health system. So it was, it was, it's, it's been a, it's been, it's been a blast. Agreed. So Leah, you were saying, one of the things you were saying was that your sales team, it feels like they've never been busier, which I think that must be just a very exciting thing to kind of move from innovation and tech development and all the sort of startup-y things you do to get, to get something going, to actually see um, um, sales start to move like that. I would love. I would actually love to hear both of your guys' perspective on that, though. I feel like that that's that's kind of a thing. That's a specific step to go from innovating and and getting the tech right and developing a viable you know business or app or or, or something, and then suddenly have it uh, go out in, in, into the world and become a sales cycle of sorts. Uh, how, how does that even work? You know, how how do, how do you think of it? Maybe maybe Leah, you could talk a little bit about that. You think of it with a lot of patience if you work in healthcare. Um, you know the health, the health, and again, we started with health plans, and um, health plans are paid to say no. I mean, this is what they do for a business, right? And so, it is really hard to get past the skepticism that exists in this industry. And I, and, and at the one level, while it can be frustrating as entrepreneurs, I completely understand why health systems and health plans need to be skeptical. The stakes are so high. You can't afford for your patients or your members to have a bad experience. You can't afford for people to get bad information that makes an already stressful healthcare situation more stressful. 
So I understand why the stakes are so high. Um, and so I think if you're going to succeed in this market, you just have to bring a lot of rigor into making your business case, proving your ROI, and constantly improving and asking yourselves questions about the user experience. So, and it's always going to evolve if your company's growing. So we had nailed down a health plan user experience, but the user experience for our health system needs to be really different. And we're going through that now. And when we bring these solutions together, if I want a user to be able to navigate her from her doctor to her employer and her plan from one application, there needs to be a lot of thought into that user experience. So you're always innovating and always re refining your sales strategy and business model if you're really going to keep growing is definitely our philosophy. That makes sense. Aaron, what, what about from your perspective, kind of going from the entrepreneurial aspect of, of this stuff, um, going from, again, developing tech, developing innovation, and then, and then actually translating that somehow into sales results? Yeah, I think um, how we add value is kind of, to some extent, what, what Leo was talking about is the speed issue. So I think my team, because we're kind of inside of a health system, has the ability to kind of innovate at a faster cycle than somebody kind of coming from outside. And I think that is really important early on so that we're able to incubate things faster. And so the example I always give is, you know, and this really resonates with, you know, most entrepreneurs in the space is your first interaction would be, let's say, with me or with Amy Compton Phillips or one of the senior leaders who, let's say, you know, could be a cold call or an introduction. You, you do that first call and then there's another call that gets scheduled a month later because, you know, schedules are so jammed of the next level down you know, once we've expressed interest and then, you know, and then it's probably three or four calls before you, you know, and, and you don't have a product yet and you're just trying to get somebody to kind of work with you. Right. And just to, you know, and, and meanwhile, you're, you're burning through a bunch of seed capital and just trying to get kind of to, to that first place to where you can kind of really kind of engage uh, closely with a, with a health system to learn, you know, what the product opportunity is and, and trying to just design the kind of V1.0 of the, of the product, let's say. And what we are, we have the ability to do is, is, you know, these, these entrepreneurs are badged employees in our health system and they have just, you know, they can just email somebody internally, um, get on their schedule, et cetera, much. And it just seems like a small thing, but it, it, it just, it just speeds up that early kind of product development piece a lot faster and it allows us to, you know, succeed and fail quickly, right? Then what I've noticed is once we get that first kind of external, you know, once we scaled up the platform internally, we've proven that it works and, you know, gone down, no doubt, a whole bunch of blind alleys in the process. And we've gotten, you know, a viable product that, uh, that we think is, is, might have some market adoption. Then we try to sell it to that next health system. And then at that point, once that next sale occurs and we've implemented it, that's when it makes sense to spin it out. And the reason is, is because then the flip side starts to happen is it actually becomes harder for us to kind of, you know, execute on the on the market opportunity as one health system trying to sell technology, you know, to other health systems, which is, you know, probably the worst case scenario you can imagine for kind of technology sales of one health system attempting to kind of sell technology to another health system. It's like two bureaucracies battling it out over who can kind of, you know, claim more risk aversion, right, in that process. And so that's when and it makes a ton of sense to make sure that the team, you know, has this kind of agile ability to um, engage with other 
customers and kind of, you know, kind of exploit the market opportunity. So the thing that we've learned is, is, is to spin it out about the time where you get that second kind of validated sale after we've implemented it. Super important because we, we're faster in the kind of, I think, in the early market development uh, or the early product development, but much, much slower in terms of being able to kind of, you know, be scalable in, in kind of the commercialization of a product. Thank you, Aaron. So, uh, Leah, uh, both on Loudflower's uh, website and, and also here today, you, you've mentioned your desire to sort of comprehensively support the, the chief health officer of the home, who is often a woman um, and the one and the person who makes most healthcare decisions for the family. So in the beginning, when you were starting to develop your, your first app, because your end user was a female, did, did you do anything with the, uh, differently with the tech development? For instance, did you set out to kind of, you know, help empower women in this very important role? Um, did you feel a responsibility to, uh, to, to, to sort of be female-focused? Uh, well, I, I would say the reason we are female-focused is simply following the math. If women make 80% of the healthcare decisions, we need to focus on women. So a lot of our design and our user testing and the consumer research we do is focused on women, not just during pregnancy, but also into pediatrics and beyond. However, we believe a big part of empowering the, quote, chief health officer of the home, whether that is a female or a male, is empowering them to get help have their partners or whoever or their friends or their family help them with this role of navigating healthcare. So one of the features we added a couple of years ago was the ability to invite someone to your application and, and share views into when the kid's pediatric appointment is and share data. And what we found after we did that is now about a third of our users are men. So we actually really believe that part of empowering that person who is often a woman is helping her not only navigate healthcare, but to get help along the way, because it's um, definitely easier if it's a shared responsibility. That makes sense. Aaron, who's the chief health officer in your home? It's uh, definitely my wife, uh, who also um, bears the burden of being a physician. And so <clears throat> I would probably argue that she's got me just based on competence and uh, <laughs> And 14 years of postgraduate education in the field. So I think uh, you kind of got to defer. You kind of got to defer to her. Yeah. Yeah. She, she tends to point that out whenever we have a debate about healthcare. Yeah. Well, good for her. And, uh, and still tends to win those arguments. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, uh, so, so for me, it's a, it's a kind of a slam dunk in our household, just based on her extensive training in the field. So I just wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about a track that's kind of just been out in the world a little bit. Uh, um, you know, I mean, much of the business world has struggled uh, with gender diversity. And it's obviously been a big topic in the news for quite some time now in, in tech, in entertainment, in politics, definitely in my own world of communications. Um, healthcare, however, uh, has always seemed ahead of the curve on, on, on that subject. And I'm just curious if, 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 if you would say that that's, that's true. Um, in, in your opinion, do you get enough opportunities to work with people like Leah and her company, Wildflower Health, a well-thought-out, well-led, successful business model that also happens to be run by a woman? No, still don't get enough of those opportunities. I mean, I think it's, it's better in healthcare IT, but it's not anywhere near to where it needs to be. I mean, our, our heritage for, you know, Providence St. Joe's, just to kind of give you kind of some context and background is 
we're a 155-year-old, very large organization. We'd be in the Fortune 500 if we were a public company. That was founded by women. Um, and that is an amazing... That's terrific. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's founded by the Sisters of uh, St. Joe's and uh, Sisters of Providence. And you just think about, you know, as I've kind of, you know, studied our background and our heritage over, over the years, uh, the last five years, it's, it's an amazing story of, you know, just sheer grit and determination and, and the ultimate founders, right, if you think about it. Because what they would do, for instance, the Sisters of Providence invented healthcare in the Pacific Northwest. They, they came here from Montreal with literally nothing. They left a boat and in kind of the 1850s and um, went on begging tours, which is basically consisted of them going to kind of, you know, the mining areas and asking the, the miners and the trappers for money to go start an orphanage, go start a hospital and that kind of thing. And uh, that was their version of fundraising. And I would challenge anyone today to compare their founding story to uh, the Sisters of Providence because it was a lot harder, a lot more dangerous. And I should also add to the fact that uh, most of the, the women that came over were French speaking, so they didn't even speak the language. So it's an incredible story. And I encourage anybody to kind of go back and research those incredible women that that founded these institutions in the United States a uh, century and a half ago. I mean, they were way, way, way ahead of their time. And so my team gains inspiration from that. And to Leah's point, you know, in healthcare in particular, it's, you know, diver gender diversity is incredibly important because, you know, our, our customer is female and there isn't even a close second. And then most of the caregivers in the industry are, you know, the physicians, the nurses, et cetera, that work for health systems are, uh, are female. So you're missing a massive opportunity if you're not uh, supporting and uh, you know backing female entrepreneurs in this space. Yeah, and this is Leah. I would just add that the last data point that I saw Rock Health put out on this topic is that 6% of funded digital health companies are female founded. So a very small percentage compared to where we should be. And I guess I would say for any of those would-be female founders out there, if you think the reason you're not doing it is because you, you wouldn't be able to navigate professional and personal life, I would just say from my experience, one of the most gratifying things about founding a company is being able to create a culture that embraces families. Most of the people who work at Wildflower, well, maybe at least half of the people who work at Wildflower have families, have children. And we really run a culture that's family friendly. If you have to take time off work because your child is sick or you want to go to your kid's school play, no one judges that. There's no such thing as FaceTime here because we hire great people. They get their work done and we don't care if you need to do it at home that day because you're taking your kid to the pediatrician or you want to come into the office. We don't care. And I think that it's just been really great for me compared to corporate cultures that I've been in to be able to create this kind of culture that actually has a lot of flexibility for families. So don't be don't stay away because you're afraid of that if you're a would be female founder. <laughs> well, it's great advice. And it's and, and, and obviously there is, you know, well, hopefully some evolution kind of happening. Uh, it's, it's still very much an issue. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see some good stuff. You know, I'm, I definitely take advantage of, you know, I like to go see all my, 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 my kids stuff. I was late today listening to my kid present some stuff. So I think it's great that you, 
you know, that you support families. And I think continuing to do that should help kind of move the issue along. But anyways, I appreciate you both talking on that subject there for a little bit. I want to get into some really specific learnings for the young folks uh, potentially listening in. Uh, at least I hope they're listening. I really, I really want them to be. Leah, before developing your first app way, way back in 2012, you'd spent your whole career on the business side of healthcare. Now, as you guys had kind of brought up here and there a little bit, um, healthcare has been a little slower to adopt tech until more recently. So it's not necessarily the ideal place to develop skills specific to app creation and other kinds of uh, new technology. And I just wonder if there was a learning curve for you going from the business of healthcare to the business of app development. And is this something young innovators with similar backgrounds to you need to think about? Sure. I think it's really important when you're starting a digital health company to have people who know healthcare, know how it works, know the different players and stakeholders, which is a background like myself, and complement that with people who understand technology, ideally consumer technology, if that's what you're building, or enterprise, if that's what you're building. So the original team that I worked with and recruited um, early on came from backgrounds outside of healthcare. So the first woman who worked with me on product had come from Sephora and Martha Stewart, and she knew some healthcare, but she really brought a different lens and helped inform the development of a product that um, that would work for consumers, because I think healthcare has historically not been so good at that. I mean, Erin, your own background actually reflects that coming from Amazon, which you can say more about. But I think that's a, a great blend if you can fear, figure out how to marry up healthcare expertise with technology expertise in the same team when you're founding a company. Yeah, Aaron, is that uh, is that something that 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 you see or think um, or are ever even concerned about as a strategic VC looking at companies to invest in? That you've got you've got people with all kinds of terrific healthcare experience, but maybe they haven't brought in the right people, or they haven't gone through enough sort of hardship to to, to know how to face up to some of the more specific. Um, things that come up in tech development. What's so? Uh, what do you kind of see on on that issue? Yeah, I think I think uh, to uh, Leah's point, the, the the more scary scenario for me and my team are the naive technologists coming into healthcare. I, I always I'll give you my kind of take on, uh, and and I had the advantage that I was in healthcare 15 years before I got back into healthcare. So I, I kind of grew up in healthcare, went to business school, studied it and consulted in healthcare, and then took a right turn and went into technology for about, founded a couple of companies and went to Amazon for about 10 years um, and then kind of came back. And so I've kind of had this round trip and I kind of knew what I was getting into when I was coming back into healthcare as to some of the, the difficulties. But I always kind of characterize it like, you know, people from outside of healthcare go go through three stages. You know, stage one is it's almost unavoidable. There's this hubris that happens where it's like clearly, you know, things are so screwed up in healthcare. There's no other explanation than like, you know, you guys just don't know what you're doing and I'm here to help. Right. And there's this just massive hubris that that occurs from these kind of, you know, non-healthcare background, you know, pure technologists that kind of come in. And they have no idea the complications and the layers and the... Exactly. And, and the story I always tell is there was this, this, these EIRs that we we're working with that eventually, you know, I won't name names, but basically kind of came in and showed me this pitch. And, you know, I was like, that's great. Good idea. 
would work in any other industry, but in this industry, it's illegal. <laughs> Whoops. And so they, you know, they kind of went back and to the drawing board and ditched that idea. And they're like, okay, you know, got it. Right. And so there's just a lot of complexities that they don't appreciate. Right. Uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, that in healthcare is highly regulated. And to Leah's point earlier in the conversation, for good reason, it's meant to protect people or to prevent fraud, waste and abuse. And so, so, so stage one is always hubris. Stage two is what I call the pit of despair, where, you know, these, these technologists coming in from the outside are like, oh, my God, this, there's actually good reasons why this is so complicated. And they start to understand the complexity of healthcare, And they, you know, and then they kind of bifurcate, you know, some stick with it and develop a love and a kind of get the healthcare bug and stay with it forever. And some are like, you know what, there's easier ways to make a buck. And they kind of go exit uh, the industry. And for me, the most scary scenario is we see a startup that doesn't have people with deep backgrounds in healthcare because they just think they're just going to be in, an, in for a rough ride. And, and if you're a VC, that means you're going you're gonna to get to pay for that. And so we look for like a well-balanced team. You know, frankly, I haven't seen that much lately because I think a lot of VCs and a lot of founders on both sides, both on the, the technology side, as well as, you know, people starting off with Leah's background and deep in healthcare experience, realize they need that balanced team day one. It's just not a good idea to, to have an imbalanced team. So generally, the innovation companies are trying to kind of have that approach, a balanced approach, um, sort of trying to have the right team members in place in the beginning. I mean, I would imagine, too, you know, if, when, when you do get some talented um, um, innovation folks from, from, the, from the tech side, if, if they can get through that first, oh, we just created something illegal, and, and if they can kind of keep at it and they don't give up, I imagine, you know, they're smart folks. They, they would probably, probably learn something, you know, at a fairly decent pace and, and, and come up with some solutions, you'd hope. Well, I appreciate you both talking about that. Um, uh, let's do, I'll just do one more um, kind of just quick question here. It's one that I always ask. I just I love to hear specifically from 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 both of you if you have any any anything that I haven't asked or or if you have any specific advice that you would have for other you know young innovators out there trying to figure out how to put together a viable business model. You know, Leah, what from your perspective for 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 these folks? Uh, is the most important aspect of starting a medical technology company, if that even exists. I think start with a quantifiable problem and make sure it's big enough that you can fund it and that you can get a reasonable amount of revenue. I think a lot of people see an experience they think should be better in healthcare, but have underestimated what's really going to be the ROI to a buyer and who is going to pay for it. Because that's all always going to be the key to, to really scaling a business in healthcare, in my opinion. I mean, I, I love how succinct that is. I think you can, you can, that's great advice to walk, walk away with. So Aaron, what about you? You, you, you? This could be from the venture capital side or the innovator side, you know, what's a, um, well, for instance, it would, I would actually, I would love to know what you think, what should young VCs um, or strategic VCs, what should young strategic venture capitalists with an opportunity to get involved with a company like Wildflower focus on? A, a couple of things. One is when, when I'm talking to, you know, early stage companies um, and giving them advice, 
uh, I always talk about what is the, the small story and then what's the big story, right? So the small story is, is to Leah's point, like how, what is the near-term revenue opportunity in which you can basically make a very concrete argument that you're going to pay back the, the platform in less than 12 months, right? And then, you know, the rest of that is, is, is kind of, you know, a benefit to the buyer, so whether it be a health system, a payer, an employer, whatever it might be, pharmaceutical company, et cetera, there's got to be that near-term kind of ROI argument that's dead solid, right, to Leah's point. And then I think, you know, when you're talking to a VC, you got to say, you got to definitely present that piece. But then there's the next piece, which is, all right, now where is this going to go and why is this going to be a, a huge business and become a, and earn the right to be a platform, Right. And what happens, I think, outside of technology, outside of healthcare, is there are a lot of kind of platform plays that start off with the argument that, like, look, this is going to be this great big kind of operating system for X. And that doesn't work really in healthcare. In healthcare, you need that 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 near term ROI and you earn the right to become that platform by, you know, kind of first delivering kind of near term value. Uh, and that's that's one thing I would I would submit is is really important. And then I the second thing I would just kind of you know point to uh, Leah as like a, a great example of a, a great female CEO is um, you know if you're if you're a female entrepreneur or if you're female you know uh, who is thinking about being an entrepreneur you know think think big. And that's the advice I usually give. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in development conversations with exceptional female leaders, and I've asked them, what are your aspirations in five years? You know, what I'm really super proud of is, is that uh, on my team, a lot of my um, uh, female leaders have been say, saying things like, I want to be the CEO of a company one day, right? And they're, they're hitting, they're basically aspiring to, 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 to kind of contribute at that level. And, and sometimes I'll run into somebody who's exceptional and I'm, I'm wanting them to say that, and they just don't say that. And I think it's, it's, it's giving them the encouragement that, you know, they need to think bigger about their future. And to, to Leah's point earlier, which I think was just super spot on, which is start manipulating your own environment by starting your own company. You know, if you don't like working for a big organization that is is not kind of, you know, fitting your life well, well, like do what Leah did, which is, you know, create your own kind of environment. And guess what? Like-minded individuals will join you. Um, they'll, they'll flock to you like they have to, to Leah. So sorry to be on the soapbox a little bit, but I think it's, you know, just to summarize, earn the right to be a platform. Don't go out and kind of pitch uh, a platform. And, and, and if you're an aspiring, you know, if you're a female leader, think big, think big about like, you know, and, 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 and if you don't like the environment that you're in, in terms of what you want to, um, you know, create your own, like Leah did, go start your own company. It's, it's incredible. Well, fantastic advice. Uh, and again, uh, um, I can't thank either of you enough for uh, being on on the program today, uh, Aaron Martin and Leah Sparks. Uh, uh, again, thank you. Really glad you were here.
All right. Thank you so much, Pat. Thanks, Pat. That's the conclusion of this episode of Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, or just want to tell us something very important you think we should really, really hear, we're all ears. Check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts, or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We look forward to next time. That was really fun. I appreciate that. You guys are very super articulate and really thoughtful. Jake's just going to have to clean up all my messy stuff, but you guys are great. (laughs)